This Week in Startups is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is the e-commerce marketing platform that helps brands build relationships with memorable email and SMS messages. Over 40,000 brands choose Clavio to help them grow. Learn more and get started with a free trial at clavio.com slash twist. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash twist. LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash twist. And Rcrowd. Rcrowd helps you invest in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join Rcrowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. It's August. It's 2020 when we're taping this episode. It'll come out uh, sometime after August 26th when we tape this. And on the podcast today is a founder named Dom. You can follow him on the Twitter at D-O-M-M. He seems to be highly active on uh, the Twitter for his company, Fast, but not Fast.com, because if you type in Fast.com, you'll get a uh, speed test, which I'd use. It's a pretty good speed test. I think it's sponsored by Netflix. And it will tell you how fast your computer is going. But he does Fast.co. And the company's raised a bunch of money. And they're working in um, what people would categorize as uh, the checkout space. You know, critical part of any e-commerce business is getting people not only to discover products, but eventually put them in a shopping cart and eventually get them to check out as fast as possible. And in fact... One-click payments was the promise of Amazon early on. How quickly you could get a customer from putting something in their cart to getting it in their hands is not the entirety of their business. Well, Dom is working on that, but for businesses other than Amazon, welcome to This Week in Startups, Dom Holland. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Right, so you heard my opening there. Um, starting off, uh, I know you're in uh, San Francisco in the Bay Area, uh, but the accent, I believe, is Australian, correct? Correct. Uh, where in Australia from? Uh, I was born and bred in Bondi, and then I moved to regional New South Wales. So I lived in, in the country. I lived in Bondi for 10 years and country for, for six or eight years, and then I lived in Brisbane the last 10, and I've oh. uh, had stints around. So moved around the country bon a bit. Bondi is the beach. Correct, yeah. Famous Most beach. beautiful in beach in the world. That's right. Well, I mean, some people would say the Whithavens, the Whitsunday, would be the most beautiful. Correct? Uh, I wouldn't call it a, a beach as such, um, but but an island, absolutely. Yes. But, um, yeah. Having been to both, mm -hmm. one of them is abandoned and there's nobody on it, and one of them mm -hmm. is a vibrant town where you can have lunch by the beach. You get, what's that What's that walk, This the Bondi hike? You yeah, hike to Tamarama. To Tamarama. That's a nice hike. It's a nice hike. Beautiful. It's like a cliffside hike. So you mm -hmm. decided to give up the beautiful uh, and high-functioning Australia for San Francisco. Got here just in time for the collapse of the city. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm hoping your uh, family uh, and yourself and your team are all safe in the age of the pandemic. It is April, May, June, July, August. It is five months since we started this pandemic. How are you doing uh, in the pandemic? And then we'll get to your business. 
Yeah, look, I, you know, like the rest of the world, it's been a, um, a major change. And that's right. You know, we weren't here too long. Uh, we officially moved here in November last year. And uh, and so it's a lot has changed since November when we got here. Uh, to be honest, it's, you know, Australia has fared through COVID a lot better than um, uh, than the US. You know, I think it's been fairly well reported. And uh, so my wife and I've, I've got I'm married with two kids. My wife and two kids actually went back to Australia for um, uh, two and a half, three months and um, they just got got back to the States recently. Uh, but, you know, we were living in a two-bedroom apartment in, in SF and I've got two of the most active kids in the world and uh, they were just going to do a crazy apartment and, you know, not allowed to go to parks or anywhere else. So it's, it's, it was really hard. Um, and they went back to Australia and, and spent some time there and, um, you know, they're, they're back in now, thankfully, and we've moved into a house. But, um, you know, it's also affected our team and, you know, uh, you know we've had a team who've sadly lost, lost people to COVID and, and been affected by it in different ways. So it's, um, you know, it hasn't been without its challenges, but we're here, we're stronger, um, here, here to live another day like everyone else. And when you look at your business being in the e-commerce business, uh, what I've seen in my portfolio is that e-commerce businesses and your SaaS e-commerce, I believe, um, explain to people what fast.co is. I'm going to say fast.co, so people don't go to fast.com, but you call it simply fast. Yeah. Explain to people who your customers are, and what they pay you for. Sure. So, uh, Fast is a one-click checkout for the entire internet with no passwords. So, it's a button that you see on websites that when you click it, it says Fast Checkout. And when you click it, you instantly buy whatever it is you're looking at. It could be a pair of shoes. It could be um, you know, a T-shirt. It could be uh, a basket of groceries. And uh, it, it, it's literally a frictionless checkout. So, there's no extra steps. There's no confirmation step. It, it's just that easy. Of course, you can change address or change cards. We make it that very easy. But um, for most of your purchases, you're just done in one click and away you go. Uh, now, we don't just do checkout. We do um, one-click checkout and one-click login. So, um, you can log into any any site in one click. So that's obviously not just limited to e-commerce. It could be a SaaS company. It could be company intranet. Could be co you know company software. Absolutely anything that has a login form currently, we can power one click login to that. Uh, again, with no passwords. Uh, but you know the one click checkout for e-commerce is definitely a primary sector. Uh, we're a B two B two C company. We consider the consumer our end. They're our end user. So we actually consider them our customer from a, a product standpoint. So, um, but they don't pay products. you. Uh, for well, their yeah. service. <laughs> That's, yeah, so our sales, so our product org is designed to build products for consumers. Obviously, there's a merchant element to it because the button goes onto merchant sites. Um, but the business, our sales org, sell into businesses and they they get the businesses to install our, our button. Now, um, by default, we don't earn anything for just placing the button on a site. Uh, we only get paid even when a consumer uses that button to buy something. And so, and we take a portion of the transaction revenue, uh, you know, of the transaction um, as our fee to process the to process the payment so uh, if i had a shopify site or if i had a squarespace website or any other site and i wanted to support fast checkout uh similar to using paypal i would pay you one percent two percent of every sale yeah, obviously difference but per country. Um, you know, default retail pricing across most companies, including us for, um, you know, if you're starting out and you've, you're just launching e-commerce, I'd be 2.9% plus 30 cents in the US. Uh, in Australia, it's 1.75% plus 30 now, cents. Now, is that the transaction fee or the transaction fee for the credit card processing goes on top of that? 
Not that includes credit card processing fee. Yeah, so we and the um, we're credit card processing costs you one point five to two percent. So it, net net, after you pay the credit card processes, you make one percent on every sale on their website if people use fast. Uh, yeah, look, you know, there's there's hundreds of different interchange rates. Um, if you're using well, a, a debit US, card, yeah, yeah, but but no, in the US, <laughs> there's oh, hundreds. Oh, you're saying um, debit card versus American it, Express? But if, let's say yeah, I use yeah. a Visa card and I use a credit card, not a debit card. Yeah, about two percent. Say, call it call it two percent. If you're using um, a debit card, it could be half a percent. So it, it. it really can wildly um, vary. And you know, the portion of debit cards amongst millennials is greatly shifting to you know what it was ten years ago. So there there really is a dynamic in you know a, a skew in, in the dynamics. What do you say? Of Young people use debit cards more than credit cards. Correct. Yeah. Huh, why is that? Uh, just just a shift in, uh, you know, they don't trust credit cards in the same way that um, people did 10 years ago. There's a massive shift to, um, so, and so if you look at different segments of stores, like fast fashion and, and stores selling into millennials as opposed to, um, you know, boomers, you'll see a di different breakdown in, in the um, in the card, you know, the cardholder base. Fascinating. Boomers like acquiring debt and millennials and Gen Z like to pay for cash and not carry a debt balance. Yeah, That's so this is so you you take a company like Afterpay. So you, you um, mentioned Klarna earlier. You take a company like Afterpay, which is a buy now pay later company, um, who do essentially like checkout financing for consumers. Uh, so instead of buying a pair of shoes for hundred dollars, you pay twenty five dollars up front and pay twenty five dollars a fortnight thereafter um, for three fortnights. And uh, you know something like ninety percent of all the cards held by Afterpay are debit cards, I believe. Um, so it's a huge um, uh, skew towards debit cards amongst that base. Obviously, a large millennial um, base. In their, in their customers so you only make money if you get a large number of merchants to put this option on their website and the sell to them from what i'm hearing is it if people use fast they have a, a faster checkout experience when we get back from this break i want to understand how do you keep my credentials safe where does it exist that this can go from site to site without me having to re put them in is it a chrome extension is it a cookie when we get back on this week in startups all right if you're growing an e-commerce business and that's your focus you need a platform that is focused on growth and that platform is klaviyo k-l-a-v-i-y-o and it is the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for online brands of all kinds and sizes whether you're just getting started or you're running a well-known brand it gives you everything you need to send memorable branded emails. So those branded emails are very specific to each user. And you get to also send text messages and more. So you build that strong brand relationship that keeps your customers coming back. With flexible automations, powerful insights, and super precise targeting. That's the key, that targeting. Klaviyo is the faster way to turn great ideas into great customer experiences. That's why it's trusted by over 40,000 brands like Living Proof, Huckberry, and even 8sleep, which I'm an investor in. Great, great bed, by the way. And you know, if you want to target those ads to the right person, you might have differences uh, based upon things you've learned about them in your data sets, and you want to craft those messages, and Klaviyo will help you craft those messages. Just visit Klaviyo, K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash twist, and get started today with a free trial for our listeners, Klaviyo.com slash twist. All right, one of those precocious people on uh, the Twitter I got to know over the last couple of years is Dom, D-O-M-M. -M. And uh, I just assumed he was with Fast.com and 
was uh, running a service that would tell you how fast your internet connection was, but then I realized it was fast.co. And uh, as you heard, he's from Australia, moved to San Francisco just in time for the city to collapse under the pandemic, crime, and taxation. Congratulations on the timing of that one. You, Your <laughs> intention, <laughs> I'm busting chops a little bit, but this has got to been like a gut punch for you because I'm certain your intention for coming to America from the wonderful wonderful country of australia where every top 20 list of countries to live in the world is populated by four cities like literally australia is 20 percent of anybody's top 10 to 20 list of countries you left mm -hmm. to come to san francisco i assume because you wanted to build an at-scale technology company and now everybody is fleeing and the city is filled with moving trucks what are your thoughts now broadly and we'll get back to the teaser question after that of how your product works, Fast.co. What are your thoughts when you see what happened in exactly the 10-month period that you came here? <laughs> yeah, I sometimes I wonder if it was something that I said. Um, look, I, I wouldn't take it personal, the pandemic. <laughs> Unless you were in Wuhan and there's, so and you, there's something you want to tell us. <laughs> I was not in Wuhan. I, I not can, experimenting um, with any viruses <laughs> or exotic no, animal treats from no, wet markets. No, no? Okay. No, no, no. Um, yeah, look, it, you know, it's, it's the, the whole world's gone through this. I mean, um, you know, I think that there, you'll find that lots of cities around the world and lots of places around the world have been, um, will change, uh, you know, greatly from this long term um sf you know probably um more more so than a lot of places but uh, i gotta tell you as it has been a really tough um time for a lot of people um you know ourselves included like i said you know my, my family spent a long time i spent a long time this year away from my family and that was that was really tough um cool. and i uh you know and and we've had a lot of staff affected by this so it it definitely has been a challenging time at the same time you know commercially you talk about market share you know we sell into e-commerce the e-commerce sector has you know gone through 10 years of growth in three months and and is accelerating um you know like Last quarter, it increased by 31.8%. It's an incredible growth for a, a sector that's already many trillions of wait, dollars. Wait, was that year size. over year or quarter over quarter? Yeah, year, year over year. I would have loved to see quarter over quarter. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but I wouldn't <laughs> be shocked if it still. was. I mean, I'm no. sure Uber Eats and some of these other services I've seen have yeah. been growing. Robinhood, et cetera, 30% yeah. during the pandemic would still be significant um yeah. but uh, but anyway but regardless like there's there's not many sectors in the world probably no other sectors in the world that are growing at that pace um especially at that scale so um commercially at, at, you know and we are you know officially i started this business in march 14 2019 um in australia i came over here in june and you know went back and forwards for a few months until november last year officially basically started building the company here in november um now you know we're a team of 60 people um uh, 60 like highly mostly you know um very highly skilled engineers we have built you know uh, not just in terms of headcount like a really phenomenal um uh base of, of business and 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 signed up you know a lot of customers obviously um this is being filmed a few days early but a very large announcement coming in a few days and um you know so commercially we've done we've had a very very good start and um so and you attribute that to the talent pool here in the bay area which is like and this is not to deride australia but australia's had a handful of unicorns i mean if you happen yep. to have worked at canva or atlassian you know those top 
25 people at those two specific companies would be incredibly valuable and sought after, but they're probably going to run their own companies or retire. Whereas here, you know, you've got, you know, hundreds of companies that have reached that level with, you know, dozens of them that have reached 10 times their level, 20 times, 100 times their level. So just the, the amount of talent in the Bay Area, you know, pre-pandemic was just ginormous. That was yeah, the draw look, for you. Ta talent and capital. Absolutely. Uh, now, there's we are building and you alluded to this earlier and you're, you were bang on. We're building a network scale business, right? A consumer network scale business. Uh, and so we obviously, you know, have large success from having large networks of consumers. Now, Australia's got um, quite a few, uh, you know, nowhere near uh, the US, obviously, but, but quite a few strong technology companies, uh, you know, especially um, over the last few years. But typically, they're starkly B2B companies, right? Atlassian's a great example of a phenomenal Australian business but um but a b2b business um canva is is a consumer business but it's uh, uh you know it's a sort of quasi b2b um consumer business now the reality is that um, we're building a large-scale network consumer business, which means we want to literally support hundreds of millions or billions of people. And so we've got to build infrastructure that supports that many people. Australia is a country of 25 million people. So you can have people who've built great products before, but they typically haven't worked at the scale that we need them to work at. They aren't, they, they're not scalable to that size. And one city in the world that has a huge density of people who've worked at that scale is San Francisco. Um, and so that was the primary sort of draw card and how does your product remember who i am so if i was on you know jason's uh, ice cream store and i went to susan's you know motorcycle helmet store and i see the fast button and i click on it after buying my ice cream to get my motorcycle helmet how does it technically know who i am and give me the one checkout did i have to install a plug-in do you have you fingerprinted my browser somehow with a cookie H how does it actually technically work yeah, so we sit as a third party, right? So um, think about it in the same way that you use or you used to use, you probably don't use it much anymore, uh, like a Facebook login to log into a website or a Google sign-in to log into a website, right? So there's an intermediary that keeps a session open on you and other websites can tap into that, right? Rather than them creating um, their own login for you, they'll leverage Google's or, or Facebook's or whoever else's. And so we work in a similar way, but we don't just work on login. We work across um, a larger profile on you, including payment. Uh, so that you can quickly and easily tap into that. So that's at, at a high level, that's how we work. So I've opened a, an account with you. I have a session open with you. You've cookied me. You know my browser. Now I go to another website. When I click that fast button, it redirects you to your website, not theirs, gets the credential information somehow on the back end in some safe and secure way. And here we are off to the races. Somebody who's got yeah. a motorcycle helmet store or an ice cream store gets the same amazing um, instant click out, instant checkout that Amazon has, correct? Yeah, and all of that happens in one click. Um, and no, wait a uh, second, let me stop you at the one click thing. Didn't Amazon patent one click? How did that all work out? And are you in their crosshairs because of it? Because I know people fought the one click. I don't know where expired, that all ended expired up. expired about three years ago. It expired about three years ago. Was that yeah. part of the motivation for starting the company is that you were watching the one click thing and said, hey, when that thing times out, maybe we should jump in? Not at all. I, I uh, my wife's, uh, my uh, youngest child, my son, who's um, uh, two now, he was one at the time, he was in hospital for three weeks. And uh, we had my wife's grandmother staying with us, um, helping us out because, you know, obviously my wife or me was at the hospital 24 hours a day and my daughter to look after as well. And one night my wife's grandmother was 
sitting at the kitchen table ordering groceries. Uh, she forgot her password and just literally couldn't order groceries. And uh, she just couldn't check out. And I just thought it was preposterous to see this little old lady sitting at the kitchen table, purse out, perfectly able and so ready to So that's a pay, great, that's a great origin story, which every startup needs a great one. But when did you find out that the patent was off? Because that was always why I heard people didn't go after this opportunity was because of that patent. Did, like when you yeah, started uh, building it, did somebody say, hey, Dom, did you know that Amazon has a patent or did you just do a Google search and find out it was... Yeah, it, uh, we've had about 600,000 people say, doesn't Amazon have a pattern <laughs> on this? And, um, and of course, the first time somebody said that, I quickly Googled and went, oh, no, the pattern's gone. So that's, that's great. There's a very, you know, very controversial patent for people who don't know. It, it was called a business process patent. And the idea mm -hmm. behind a business process patent, if uh, I'm no lawyer, was you could uh, not only patent technology and, you know, unique technology to do things, but a unique business process. Priceline was also known for having one of these pay what you want, other types mm -hmm. of auction systems. And, uh, you know, they have a certain uh, lifespan. When we get back from this quick break, I want to know what everybody in the audience is thinking, which is how do you compete in a world where Amazon uh, is going into the same business and Apple has one click pay, which I finally set up and now I am addicted to when we get back on This Week in Startups. All right, let's get down to brass tacks. I've got $50 to you from LinkedIn Jobs. The market is coming back. I know it's really weird to say, but people are actually hiring because people, entrepreneurs, are resilient and they figure things out. They figure out how to save their businesses. And I'm going to give you $50 towards hiring that next great hire. And we got an amazing testimonial from one of our listeners, Jay, who is the founder of uh, something called 10 Golden Rules. It's a boutique digital marketing agency. And he used our $50 credit for the first job post, which I'm going to give you the secret URL for in a moment. Well, he used that and he put up an account manager position and he quickly received, and we hear these stories all the time about LinkedIn jobs, over 150 qualified applications, not 150 noisy applications, which makes your life miserable, qualified. And after identifying his two top targets, Jay noticed that he shared mutual connections on LinkedIn with both of them. So, boom. He can go vet those hires. And that's the number one thing that I see founders don't do. They don't vet. They don't do reference checks. Those are built into LinkedIn. We know that he hired his favorite candidate over Zoom, and it's worked out great. Congratulations to Jay. Be like Jay. There are over 690 million people waiting for you on LinkedIn right now to do that work, to join your team. I want to give you 5-0, right now, linkedin.com slash twist. That's right. Go to linkedin.com slash twist to get $50 off. Terms and conditions apply because they're giving you $50 because you listen to this podcast, the greatest podcast in startup history. LinkedIn.com slash twist. Thank you, LinkedIn, for helping me hire so many great people. I cannot thank you enough. It is the best. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Dom Holland is here. He is the CEO and co-founder of Fast, which has grown pretty fast. I think you guys have raised 20, 30 million bucks to date. Is that correct? 22 and a half. Yep. In just two years or so of being operation, ramped up to 60 people. Uh, how many merchants have you on their sites these days? Uh, so this is being pre pre uh, filmed pre-launch. Uh, we've got about 100 launch merchants going live on basically day one or in the few days leading up to day one. So we're, we're taping this 
as part of your launch, which is something my producers do here a lot. They they make an agreement to release us on the day of the launch. So I guess assume that's what's going on down here. Um, so tell us what are you? You'll launch with a hundred partners. So we've um so we've got a hundred partners which are going to go be live uh, in in the first week, right? And Perfect. they process about a quarter of a billion dollars a year in sales um, uh, across them. Now we're also we've uh, also announcing a partnership with Big Commerce to roll this out to their sixty thousand big um, merchants across their platform, uh, and uh, you know they'll be they'll be onboarded through throughout the next few months um, through throughout the big big commerce ecosystem. Uh, we also are working with enterprise customers who are integrating at the moment. So you know the, some of them do five hundred million dollars a year, some of them more. Um, uh, but what do you, you mean know, by enterprise customer in this regard? Are you talking about a B two B company like Slack or something? No, 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 no. Just enterprise in terms of scale. Um, so, uh, you know, household names, um, uh, mattress companies, uh, companies who, who process typically billions of dollars. Got it. Yeah. The big fish yeah. are coming. So when we went to break, I finally bit the bullet and got my Amazon credit card, connected my uh, bank account, put in some money, and then paid off a... Because somebody had paid me. They lost a poker game to me. They sent me... They showed me how sending money in my iMessage works. And I was like, okay, well, that's unbelievably easy and fluid. Mm -hmm. So then I signed up for it. I had to spend the money. So I bought everybody lunch. Uh, it was a de minimis amount of money. It wasn't a big game. But uh, then I said I started signing up for it. And now, uh, now and again, when I go somewhere, it's like, hey, would you like to pay with Apple Pay? Double click. And I'm like, yes, I would because I don't want to touch mm -hmm. anything. And yep. so when you were... What is the strategy for going up against something as fluid as a as Apple payments for you? Yeah, so I look. I think of Apple Pay as our number one competitor. Um, I also think it's a great product, and uh, you know, as as do you, obviously. And I use Apple Pay a lot. Uh, the reality is, is that Apple Pay is highly contextual. Um, so uh, if you're if you know, fifty percent of everyone in this country has an iPhone, um, and so they you know have typically have iPhone uh, have Apple Pay enabled, and if they're on that iPhone and they're buying something, then they can use Apple Pay. Now, you know, seventy percent of e-commerce is done through a browser on. Um, on the web and if you're using your iphone on the safari browser then you can use apple pay if the website's integrated it and if your bank you know has uh, an agreement with apple to uh, let their cards be used in apple pay and pay apple a fee uh now that's a that's a lot of context and they do process a lot of volume so even in that context it is a lot of money but to give you an example if you're on a macbook and you go to apple.com and you log in with your apple id and you buy an apple cable um you can't use Apple Pay if you're using Google Chrome, like 77% of everyone else on the internet. Um, so it is highly contextual and it's not available in a lot of circumstances. And that is for somebody who uses all Apple equipment. So your defense now, is going to be to be all platforms and everywhere, your Android, your Apple, your Chrome, your Firefox, your Safari, just download this thing on your desktop, download this thing on your iPad, download it on your Android phone, and it'll be one profile to unite them all, correct? So, so that's one piece, yeah, and that is a big piece, absolutely. Every device, every card, every browser, um, absolutely everybody can use this all around the world. Uh, the second piece is no matter if you're using Apple Pay or PayPal or, you know, any other sort of 
express payment method, right? There's, it's not like we invented the idea of express payments. Um, we are the fastest, we are the easiest, but we didn't sort of invent the category. Um, and you can pay with Apple Pay or something else like that if, if the website supports it. The reality is um, the other part of uh, checkout that's broken or, or shopping online that's broken at the moment is post-purchase. And this is a really large component, right? So let's say um, one of the components we all hated was filling in checkout forms and login forms. And so we fixed that. But then after you've bought something, what happens when the shoes don't fit, right? Um, or you want to know when the shoes arrive. Is Gmail or your email is kind of like the main place that you'll go to try and find a receipt or try and find a tracking number and then click it and then see what you know where, where something's at. Um, if you want to return something, you go to Gmail, find a link to log into the store where the password you created for the one store that you can't remember and you log in. It's a terrible experience. And so every single purchase that you make through fast on any website um it goes into your feed on fast so you can see all of your orders you can track all your deliveries download all your receipts in the future you'll be able to manage all your returns if it's a product like shampoo or something else like that or groceries you can reorder in one click right from fast uh and so this is a, a really huge missing part of the internet um that we when you built say into right fast. from fast you mean a fast app a fast website how is so fast how do how do how does fast exist beyond the fast button existing on a website for consumers Sure. So you can go to fast.co. Um, uh, you just, if you have used fast checkout and you go to fast.co, you'll land straight into your feed. Um, there's, you, you don't go to a website. It, you'll just land in that feed immediately. You'll see that you'll see how long, you know, the ETA for the last purchase you made is going to sit right in front of you. Um, we're also releasing mobile apps. They're not going to be available on September 2nd, but they are coming. So that would be nice though, because if I had ordered Jason's ice cream and Susan's motorcycle helmets and Joe's, you know, coloring books, I would see them all in one feed, which would be quite exactly. nice uh, to yeah. see all my returns and have one central location to put all that stuff that's not Amazon. Yeah. Do you feel Imagine Amazon, Amazon your orders for the rest of the internet. Got it. What is your relationship with Amazon going to be, if at all any? I'm happy powering payments on Amazon and, and putting all your Amazon purchases in that feed as well. We'll just, um, we'll, we'll wait for them to Well, there's no chance they're going to do that. <laughs> I mean, you could do a tool to export the orders and put them there. In all seriousness, do you think Apple is, you, you, I'm certain you watched uh, Bezos testify mm -hmm. and he said, hey, we support third-party sellers. We believe mm -hmm. in competition so much to such a crazy degree that we allow you to sell on our own platform and we will compete with you heads up. If you want to make a better Amazon Basics cable, go for it. We'll put it right next to ours. Whichever one gets the best reviews will rank highest. Do you think Amazon is a fair company because of how they uh, included third-party sellers? Or do you think they're an unfair company because of the way they knock off basic products and create basic products or knock off you know, people's uh, Amazon web services type products and make, you know, cheap, uh, you know, generic house brand versions of those on both Amazon and Am Amazon web services, and Amazon basics, which is it for you personally? Well, one of the things I agree with that you've said before is that, um, you know, and uh, is that less than 1% of the products that they sell are their own brand. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and that's a, that's a big margin of difference when you compare that to other major, major retailers in this country. Um, now when you're saying house brands, so if you're whole foods, which happens to be bought, but target house brand might be 20% of sales of products they sell. So for Amazon, yep. it's de minimis. 
Mm-hmm. But so the major thing is the, the major thing that we focus on is as a consumer, um, uh, you know, I can tell you in in Australia, Amazon is not the same as Amazon here. Amazon only entered the Australian market a few years ago, um, like uh, literally only two or three years ago, maybe. Um, it does has nowhere near the sort of um, uh, status that it does here. And since moving to this country, it's only here that I realized the sort of impact and scale of Amazon. I really had no idea. I probably bought off Amazon two or three times in my life before moving to the US. And I I can't tell you how many how many orders I make from Amazon now because it's so easy. It's so it's just so fast to be able to to buy whatever you're looking to buy. You know, my wife can mention something as I'm heading out the door and I'll sort of buy it within two minutes afterwards. Um, it's it is a great experience. And then once you've bought something again, it, you know, if you've got a problem with it, if you want to know when it's arriving, if you want to, you know, uh, sort of any of the post purchase experience is great because it's all in one place. Um, so as a consumer, Amazon is uh, Amazon is really qu- quite a great service, uh, at least, you, you know, here in the US. Uh, Outside of Amazon, that's just not true. And so um, we really want to be able to let um, businesses com- you know, compete with Amazon uh, and offer that same delightful consumer experience to their customers outside of Amazon. And that's what we're focused on. All right. When we get back from this final break, I want to know, how did you convince people to invest in this company when the idea had been out there a bit? We mentioned some of the you know, people who are adjacent to you, like Klarna, which I think is a Swedish company I met a couple of years back. You have a firm. You had a lot of competitors in the space. I want to know how you cleared market as a founder with so many embedded uh, startups, as well as the 800-pound gorillas of, or in this case now, they're like $8 trillion gorillas of Amazon and Apple. I mm. think they're, they're getting close <laughs> to, you know, $4 trillion combined when we get back on this week in startups. All right, I'm an angel investor. You all know that. I've had a couple companies go public. We just had Desktop Metal on the podcast, and you know, Uber went public. And hey, maybe Robinhood or Com, you never know. Maybe some of these other companies I've been able to invest in will go public. Well, how do you get access to those companies? Our crowd, O U R C R O W D dot com slash twist is how you're going to get access to some of those IPOs before they IPO. And I'm sure many of you wish you had been part of those incredible, incredible uh, performing IPOs in 2019 and 2020. Now you can get access to them if you're an accredited investor. You can invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early with our crowd. They have investments uh, in companies like Beyond Meat and Lemonade. They did those before they went public um, or before they get bought by big companies like Intel, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today you can join our crowd's investment in... TechC, T-E-C-H-S-E-E. It's a software company revolutionizing how leading enterprise companies provide remote customer support, which obviously everybody is doing. TechC developed a cognitive visual engagement, support of things platform powered by augmented reality and artificial intelligence, sounds fascinating, that empowers customer support teams to deliver visual customer experience that significantly reduces service costs and enhances service quality. So go ahead and see that offering if you're an accredited investor. So you can get early access to Taxi and other opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D dot com slash twist. Get early access to Taxi and other deals at this great site. Uh, they've got really good deal flow. It's worth checking out. Go ahead and check out rcrowd.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. My guest today, Dom Holland from Fast.co. They're launching Fast Checkout on September 2nd. 
company's a bit of a cult. What do you, what do you, there's a, is there a nickname for all these fast employees or something? And you guys seem like you're like a, a, a blizzard of uh, like a, a beehive. Fastronauts. 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 Li- literally tens of thousands of people all around the world who are sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for September 2nd. And that includes like executives at major, major retailers, um, you know, banking execs, uh, you know, just just people all around the world. It is It has been such an incredible 18 months. So you got some real cultural DNA at the company that makes everybody so enthusiastic about this. Was there some book or person or moment that made you realize I need to have just an effervescent out there culture for my team? I'm curious. (laughs) Nothing at all has been completely organic. I I say often two years ago, if you had told me that we would have have, you know, have a, a, um, you know, audience and and a community and participation like this, I, you know, social participation, I wouldn't have believed you, but um, it's just been really organic. And I think the number one reason is that we're building a product that as, as humans, as people, as internet connected people, every single one of us wants this to exist, like plainly as a product. Um, It is a product that we all need. It's crazy that that it's, it's not out there and currently available and uh and everyone just can't wait to use it and um and we're building in public you know where um we're very transparent in the way that we run and where the way, way that we grow and the way that we tr- you know tr- uh, treat our people and and, and it, it's just something that the world really gets behind how on earth did you raise money for this with such a competitive space filled with so many gigantic companies that are also focused on it yeah so uh no one is doing the same thing. There's lots of people, not lots of ways you can make payments online. You can log into places online. Um, there's places that'll finance your products online. Um, at the end of the day, we keep it really simple. We're a one-click checkout for the internet. You want to buy something, you buy it one click. That's it. There shouldn't be any extra steps. There shouldn't be any extra fric- friction. This should be how it works. Um, after you buy something, you should be able to see your purchase. You should be able to track your delivery. It should be there in one place. That's how the internet should be. That's a delightful experience. Um, and it should work for everybody on wait, wait, every didn't device. did every single investor say to you, what if Amazon does this? And what was your answer? I mean, Amazon's got Amazon Pay, but if, if you're Walmart, are you going to put Amazon Pay on your website? If you're, you know, any other major retailer in this country, are you going to invite Amazon in to own your data and payments and customers? Um, of course not. And again, it's like this context. Why not? Why not? It, like if I'm, well, J- if I'm Jane's motorcycle helmets, as I've been using as an example here, if mm-hmm. I know people trust the Amazon brand, they have Amazon Prime, they've got, you know, an Amazon account. Yeah. Why wouldn't I want to have those accounts have access to it? What, what? Well, I mean, part, part, we we just heard from all these, you know, from um uh, from the hearings about people who are concerned that Amazon's taking this data and using it to create their own products. Ah, one, so that's, fear that's one of major corporate concern. espionage. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the reality is, you know, th- it, it, there isn't any other offering that just serves everybody. Um, and, and that just does it simply lets you just pay with a card and it should just be out of, get out of your way. And it, that doesn't exist. And, um, and it should, and, and we've built it. And when you look at the uh, firms of the world and the Klarna's of the world, take me through those adjacent companies, which yep. ones, because uh, I know a number of them will have your payment information and they'll do exactly what you're doing. I know Klarna, for a fact, does that, right? Like you'll go to the next Klarna site, very popular in Europe. Your information's already in there. They do it's some, a finance product, though. Uh, it's, it's, so it's, explain uh, what that means. So, uh, so instead of paying a hundred dollars for a pair of shoes, yeah. then you'll pay twenty five dollars today. And you then could you'll pay add the that to off. your. You could add that to your product, I assume. 
Uh, yeah, sure. I, I mean, these companies are our partners, to be honest, as yeah. opposed to competitors. Um, so, it, it, you know, again, we're making it fast and easy for you to buy things, simple for you to buy things. Now, if you want to pay it off, then sure, we can enable that for you through one of these partners, but um, it should still be easy if you don't want to use one of these partners, right? And so we enable whether whether you want to use a, a finance product or you just want to pay for the $100 up front, we just make that quite simple. What do you think the impact of Amazon's credit card and this payment plan which re gives you zero percent for like you know whatever four payments or ten payments to buy an iphone or an ipad what do you think the impact of that's going to be on their business because i saw it and i was like hmm that seems pretty interesting to me maybe i'll buy an ipad pro with that seventeen thousand dollar keyboard on it uh, i think the keyboard is more like three hundred dollars for an ipad keyboard <laughs> yeah, they've lost yeah, their yeah, minds yeah. but yeah, it's a pretty cool right. looking keyboard uh <laughs> give them that that magic keyboard looks pretty sweet but i don't yeah. know if it's 350 dollars sweet but i mean i think that's what a chromebook costs same price nah, as a keyboard I, 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 I can still see it in your bag in a few months you know you have, do you have it, it you, oh, is there, no, it's not no, out yet no. is it <laughs> That no, floating keyboard. Um, they bring out another one every six months. It will buy as well. You know. What do you, I, um, what do you think of the impact though of them offering zero percent financing since they have so much money? They're just like, hey, we'll finance it for you. Do you see yeah. that as a reoccurring trend of the stores and the manufacturers saying, we'll just we'll take care of your financing. We're making a Tesla. We'll do the financing for you. We have access to capital, or we have all this cash in our bank account. Screw it. If you want to buy a Nest and pay us ten bucks a month for it for. Yeah. 30 months, yes. we'll just do it for you because we're Google with on a pile of cash. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, to me, this is one of the major threats of the buy now, pay later companies is, um, you know, and and a lot of people think this is is retailers doing it themselves, right? Is if it's only four payments and just uh, all we're doing is taking $100 divided by four, well, eventually our engineers can build that ourselves. And we've got, you know, we've got the balance sheet to be able to front that and we'll just save the, you know, extra two bips that you're charging us on the transaction. Um, so, uh, look, and I by think the way, that I meant Apple card, not Amazon card. Does Amazon have a credit card? <laughs> Well, I probably will now that you've now that you've given them the idea. Oh yeah, I'm uh, sure Jeff Bezos. <laughs> no, you know what? Knowing Jeff, he listens to the pod. He there's no yeah. way he ever considered an Apple yeah. card. Uh, you know, competitor. he's like, oh my god, that is like, Jason. Oh, Jason, yeah, it's incredible. Amazon, yeah. An Amazon yeah. card. We never could <laughs> consider that. We could put I've the Prime logo on it too. People. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've got sixteen thousand right. Bain consultants here, and none of them came up with the idea. An Amazon card for Prime users would be bonkers. So, so I can tell you, I've never seen. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you see this a lot, mm -hmm. and I'm not just talking about like like the. I, I'm talking about behind the doors. I've never seen companies and like like C level executive teams of very 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 big companies so petrified of a company like they are of Amazon, and they could be in completely different sectors. Um, it's really it's really Why amazing. Why are people oh, scared of Amazon? When Amazon move into a space, they they do so with conviction, and they're typically very you know very good at executing. Um, and you know it's uh, they're not another company who just typically you know tip dips their their toes in in the water and something. They normally really really get behind um, behind it. So it's it's an amazing thing to see. Um, so if they did offer a card, I'm sure that they would. So do it's so the with all the same in nature of, of their approach that is so impressive. When they decided to make that Kindle, he went all in. When they made the the fire or the fire stick, and they the fire stick won but the kindle phone didn't he just goes all in and you know what the other thing that's super dangerous about him as an entrepreneur is he doesn't care if he made it or not because he's like yeah we'll buy twitch we'll buy whole foods mm -hmm. we don't yep. care whereas apple's got this like 
yeah 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 insane like almost blind spot where they're like well we didn't make it and it wasn't made yeah. in our laboratory therefore it doesn't exist in the world and it doesn't cannot mm -hmm. exist in our ecosystem and why would we buy tesla and have a tesla model 3 there and it's because well because you're so incompetent you can't build your own goddamn car and that car is brilliant like buy <laughs> and now it's too late i told apple buy tesla at 75 billion when it was a 40 billion company and now oops and they could have bought it. Should have told Tesla Amazon. Imagine they, they had would have taken two of your ideas. I did. I put it on CNBC. <laughs> I, well, actually, that actually makes sense. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon owning a car company. I think Amazon's going to buy Lyft. Actually, that I know is a crazy idea. But I think Lyft is in so much trouble now for $9 billion, Why wouldn't they buy it and just make the Lyft network part of the delivery packaging network yeah. And, yeah. And, and go for it? What do you think is going to happen to retail? Because when you and I uh, drive around San Francisco or walk, there's a lot of stores that are closed because of this pandemic. And they're not coming back. And they were already yeah. on thin ice. Yeah. It, is, is it over for retail? Is it going to be, yeah. what's the footprint going to be like in five years in your I, mind? I absolutely believe it, believe it is, you know, the, or, or like drastically different and not just in SF, um, all around the world. I can tell you in Australia, you know, there was, you know, the, the average store was closing down, you, you know, over the last 10 years, um, you know, over the last few years, if you have a look, we've had major retail chains, major, um, uh, you know, going bankrupt and, and being put into liquidation left, right and center over the last few years. And, uh, you know, the trend was here well before COVID. COVID has just like stuck the knife in and, and screwed it. Um, I, I it, it is not coming back to the same degree. There is always going to be a level of like, um, I, I think retail is just going to become the boutique, uh, you know, the boutique offering, right? But it's, it is absolutely not going to be the mainstay. I, I think that the adoption of e-commerce um, is only going to increase and like dramatically even from here. Uh, and, and yeah, retail is, is just going to be radically different. Commercial real estate is going to be radically different. Is this ultimately better for consumers or worse for consumers? Let's take the consumer first. Well, I, I'll tell you what, I just bought, we, we moved into a house recently. I just bought a grill, right? Uh, we call them barbecues in Australia, but grills here. And um, I was desperate to see a grill in a store. Like websites have not worked out how to sell barbecues or grills. Um, there was, you know, not enough photos of the burners, you know, like the, the experience is kind of terrible. Um, but there was no stores that had stock, no, no stores open that sold, you know, sold barbecues or grills. Um, and the ones that were had just no stock. And so it, it was a pretty bad experience. Buying it online, I had to just really kind of wing it and go off reviews and, you know, whatever else. Um, the, I actually quite like the grill, but, um, but that experience wasn't great. So the reality is, and this is why, you know, um, Fast has had such, you know, really large adoption and there's a lot of excitement is COVID's been a forcing function for business to adopt e-commerce at a much faster rate than they were, especially especially enterprise. And so right now, the e-commerce experience for a lot of consumers isn't as good as it needs to be, right? And it's kind of substandard. Uh, and that's why we're really excited to be offering a product that actually makes the e-commerce experience fantastic. And um, an enterprise is, uh, you know, we've seen some of the biggest brands in the world engage us already pre-launch and, and getting yeah, ready to Yeah, but isn't integrate. your experience illustrative of the fact that it might have been in your head that you needed to go visit a store because products are so good right now. Product review vectors are so good. You could go to the wire cutter now owned by the New York Times. You can go to Consumer Reports. You could look at Amazon's ratings of them, see which ones is the editor's choice over there, and just pick whatever the consensus is. And that's actually going to be a better experience than going and playing with it. Yeah, so I and I think that in ninety percent of cases at the moment, that's typically true. Especially and then the ten percent like moving. Yeah, but when they're in the ten percent, it's not. You just return it. 
and it, well, the ten percent is getting better. Is is my point? Is that yeah. like enterprise is now forcing function, going well? We, we're going to have to just get better at this because the only way that people are buying grills now is online. So maybe take better photos and and you know go deeper on, uh, on descriptions. Yes, that's that's true too. Is like they don't even have the yeah. three sixty view. Sometimes they don't even know what people want to know. This is one of the things I think is brilliant yeah. about Amazon. Is mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had this experience where you go down and you just look at the questions. I just go down and look at the questions oh, yeah. people are asking yeah. and I expand it. I'm just curious what people who are making a decision are asking. Does it mm. come with Money batteries? Search. search the questions. You know, like I, yeah. it's always like, what's the width, right? I had a very, you know, small width mm. that I could fit this thing in. And of course, go to questions, search width. Like that's, uh, you know, again, Amazon's got a lot of data and they've got a lot of scale and they've they've worked out a lot of this stuff. And and so, you know, that's, it's the same thing is that other enterprise now are going to go, well, we just need all of these pieces in our own e-commerce um, experience. And that's, that's what we offer. All right. Let me ask you another question because you're smart. You study this space, you know, a lot more than I do what's the story with instagram commerce have you ever Mm. bought anything there are people going to buy stuff there is it the right medium to buy the stuff there and if so what would people buy on instagram versus going to amazon and who are they competing against so uh yeah i I mean i to be honest, I think Facebook and Instagram here are competing against Shopify. And I think Shopify is their partner. I, I would presume that Shopify did that partnership through gritted teeth. Um, I, I think that's who they're chewing into. But the reality is that, you know, if you're a D2C company sitting on Shopify, right, you, basically you're, the, the way that you get customers is by advertising on Facebook and Instagram, right, in, in a very large way. For a lot of these brands, that's their, that's the um, uh, what they rely on. Obviously, the bigger they get, they get more sophisticated and can diversify. But if you're starting out, that's typically how you start out. And the reality is, is that you're going from Instagram to a site and then you have drop off and, you know, uh, uh, and abandonment rate and, and whatever else. And Instagram is just trying to keep as much of that value as they can, right? And so um, rather than just pay for an ad off Instagram, then go to the site and then have abandonment levels. If they can keep the transaction within Instagram, they can reduce the abandonment, but also increase the amount of, that they're charging for the ad, right? And so um, uh, so one, I think that's smart. They are trying to keep typical um, sort of, you know, um, uh, Facebook fashion though, they're also keeping all of your transaction history. They know everything that you're buying. Like they're building up a very smart profile on you that they can better, you know, so they can better target you in the future. Are you saying that at some point Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) may copy (laughs) Shopify and steal his idea? I'm a guest at this accusation. Well, I I mean, it's not even just the copying thing, right? So Shopify makes something like 60% of its money through, um, from transactions, right? Mm. And now the Transaction is not happening on Shopify, uh, and so uh, that is like that's. I mean, they've called it Facebook Shops and Instagram Shop, and F- Shopify's consumer offering is called Shop. Um, so I, you know, this is. Uh, I think that there is going to be a big clash of of these, you know, enterprise titans now. Um, and uh, yeah, but but the reality is, if you're a brand, you you want to build your brand, and if you're if your sale is taking place on Instagram, that's a very transactional sale, right? Is like you don't have LTV now. Your LTV is the amount that you're, that you're selling in that one transaction. You don't own the customers, you know. So um, oh, it is they'll a very trans- the, the customer. You don't even get the customer's email. Uh, you have to get the customer's email address and a fo- an email and phone number, right? In case you have to service them or not. 
What do you think? But I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be going to detail on the product there, but yeah. but I can tell you that you're not earning a customer. They haven't been your site. They haven't you know yeah. interacted with you. They don't have that experience. So you've just earned yourself a transactional customer. And if it's cost you $30, then you better have more than $30 of margin in that sale because you're not earning another sale from them. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know. It's going to be a very transactional, um, uh, you know, business for retailers. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's great for some lines, but obviously, Obviously, that's not, you're not going to be able to build a big business off that. Um, and I think you know if you're a company that's going to raise money, invest. The first question an investor is going to ask is how much of that is going to be coming through that channel. Um, so it, I, it's an interesting. What's, um, what's Google's strategy in all this? Because they have Amazon buying ads. They've got everybody buying ads on their site. They have Google Shopping, which, as far yeah. as I can tell, is just a bunch of clicks. Like it's just a bunch well, it, of click uh, ads. But they. So, uh, Google's got the same doing? strategy. To, to be honest, Google's got the same strategy, right? So if you're, so if you're Facebook, if you're Google, if you're everyone else, right? The 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 last piece that you need is to be processing the transaction, right? Mm -hmm. If you're an advertising business, that's the last piece that you need because now you can completely abstract the merchant out of the equation. They, you don't, they don't have to go visit the merchant site. And so if you're Google, again, you have some people are, you know are searching for a product, they click an ad, they go to the site, and then they have to check out. And there's a certain level of abandonment in between if google can own the transaction which is the first step that they've got so they've got you know pay with google which you know isn't actually widely used but but they do have that product that if the merchant uses that well then now why why even send the traffic to the merchant site at all why not just embed the checkout within google search results mm -hmm. and that would that would increase you know one google's advertising revenue which is their primary goal um and so i think that's where, what you're going to see is is google abstracting away the merchant as well um it again whether your shopify Facebook, Google, everyone is abstracting the merchant out of the equation. And, you know, with Shopify's got their payment product and whatever else now, um, they're all becoming the marketplace. And, um, and and so all of these companies have the same strategy because, they're, you know, they're so big. How else are they going to um, extract the most value? What's the last uh, big piece of e-commerce that hasn't been resolved? Is it the last mile delivery is it groceries? Well, logistics sucks. Logistics you know, still like, sucks. I, I mean, well, I'll look at you know USPS at the moment and, and what's happening there. It's going to be disastrous for the holidays. Um, but you know, it's uh, logistics is is really tough. There's just so much so much work that needs to go in there. Um, we've sold you know we've sold checkout, we've sold login, we've sold post purchase. I think logistics is the last the last big Why piece. Why is the and US a US post office giving not charging? the 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 uh, amazons of the world like a rate that makes them profitable or at least break even i don't understand who's running it like i mean i i don't think we should make any changes to the post office before an election during a pandemic obviously mm -hmm. but why i mean why is the post office have to be six day a week service and service every single person in the united states like why not make it you know twice a week uh, and make it profitable, and it's sort of the backup to the UPSs, the FedExs, etc. I'm not saying it has to be once a month, but it doesn't seem like this is a business the United States needs to be in. Do you? Yeah. Is this how Post works in Australia? And, and what are your thoughts when you see the Post Office losing all this money? Yeah, and Amazon making yeah. all this money. It seems like a wealth transfer to me, or some kind of weird shenanigans. Australia Post has gone through similar, um, uh, sort of similar 
experiences. Um, I, you know, f- from I think the letter business is the is the real money loser, right? The parcel business is is where they make money, and we're coming to an age of e-commerce where the parcel business is is really what um what you want. You just don't want to have the letter business anymore, right? And um because it's a it's a money loser, but typically it's like mandated that 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 business has to exist. It has to operate at a certain schedule, and you're just not making money off sending a letter for. I don't know how much it costs here actually to send a letter, but in Australia it's a dollar, I think now. You know, I think it's it fifty five cents, cents or something. Yeah. yeah. So so you imagine like that that's they lose they would lo- be losing a lot of money on that, right? Um, whereas when you're sending a parcel, that's a much higher margin um, uh, product itself. So I think if you shut down the letter business, it'd probably it'd probably be profitable very quickly. Um, and but you, that's you, the you one people keep, need. They, they have to come up with yeah. a way but so, to well, raise but the so price. To divide it. And and that that is the government service, right? Do the do the letters once a week, and then let the parcel business thrive. Or you know, I I, I don't know, I don't I don't have the answers. I'm not running USBS, but um, but it's the letter business is is the issue, and um, uh, you know, at least, at least and it's crazy that the letters are done so cheaply. Like the idea that yeah. I can send a letter to anywhere in the United States for fifty five cents yeah. in twenty twenty, and a cup of coffee costs three dollars, like. Maybe sending a letter should cost a dollar or two, and maybe if sure. a letter cost a yeah. dollar or two, we wouldn't get so much junk mail. Like, I think that there's this perverse, weird hamster wheel that some non-business person put the post office on where they're like, we need to charge less so that we can get more volume so we can make more money. And nobody ever explained to them that, like, increasing the number of money-losing transactions results in a greater loss. Yeah. Like they just don't no, understand look, basic I, I, economics. Sure, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm sure there's lots of you know economics at play here. Like perhaps is you know lower socioeconomic uh, you know demographics can't afford more higher postal you know rates. I, I I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Um, but but typically it's the letter business that brings it under, and, and that that's one that you need to like work on work on the economics of. Um, whether it's whether it's that the government just cops that hit, um, and keeps it low for whatever reason, or you increase the price of letters. That's right. I mean, in Australia they were forty cents for a long time, and they were a dollar i think they were a dollar something now so maybe maybe that's the answer and i think they did cut back the number of days a week that letters are delivered um uh, it can have a profound impact on on cost you know and network I, I, so I, I come home and i'm like why am i getting six day a week mail and i i think one in 50 is what's important you need only look yeah. at the amount of spam in your mailbox yeah. To realize that this model is severely broken. The unfortunate thing is we live in such a polarized time here in the United States that we're actually making these changes before the first election that would be dramatically impacted by mail-in voting because of a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird. The world's gotten weird. What are you going to do if this pandemic goes into year two? You're, you, know, you come from the just amazing island of Australia where... With the exception of the outbreak in Melbourne, which was a sordid tale, if there ever was one, I'll let you look it up. Uh, Mm -hmm. A little little outbreak there, but you guys take it pretty damn seriously down there. Everybody had to go on curfew. Uh, Two two weeks. So if you land, only Australian citizens are allowed to go home. Once you land, so this is what happened, obviously, to my family when they got there. um, Two-week mandatory lockdown. Government, the army escorts you from customs to a hotel that they put you up in for two weeks. Uh, originally, they were paying for it. Now you're paying for it, um, and uh, and you sit under a guard. You can't leave. Can't leave the room. And uh, and and then after, at the end of the two weeks, you can go about your business. The you know during in at the sort of peak of COVID, 
um, Australia locked every state in between. You couldn't travel in between states. Same thing, two weeks quarantine to get travel between states. Um, they just locked the – I mean, we're, we're an island in the middle of nowhere, so they just locked all the borders and went, well, no one's coming in. And um, and that ten- tended to work pretty, pretty well. At, uh, uh, it's at, pretty at the simple, line. yeah. And then <laughs> unless the security guards are – getting involved with the people in the hotel which was what the outbreak in melbourne resulted in Mm -hmm. i'll leave it to your imagination but when it did happen i don't know if you heard it did you hear about the melbourne re-lockdown two weeks ago oh yeah 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 i mean they basically said you were going to be curfew from i don't know if it was 7 p.m to 5 a.m or something it was like Mm -hmm. a a 10-hour curfew then you yeah. were allowed to go five kilometers from your house for one hour a day to go shopping, one person from the house at a time. One person was allowed to go out and exercise, or everybody was allowed to go out for one hour of exercise per day in the non, those hours. I mean, they, they took it seriously, and it's, and it's yeah. worked. Yeah, yeah. It's the only way Definitely. to do it. Are you going to move the company? What, what, what could possibly be going through your mind right now in terms of the uh, best launch impl- September 2nd. <laughs> well, there's that, yeah. yeah. But post that, are you even thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Is it even worth it thinking about what the world will look like post-pandemic for your team? Because there are team members, I'm, sh- I'm sure, who took this opportunity. You, you shut the office until what, Q2 next year, Q1? No, we're a small company. We're nimble. You know, people come back as soon as they're able to. I can. So this is a topic I like talking about. Um, we introduced something. I, I I know that you're like this. I'm actually like this. Uh, I was always a little bit old school, right? I like to have everyone come in, be in an office. We all yeah. work together. Um, it's you know one the camaraderie. It's just easier communication flows. And it's a job. And- yeah, and you can kind of see what people are doing. Exactly. So I, you know, to be honest, that was that was my view. I, I didn't come into this, you know, I'd, I haven't been working remote the last 10 years thinking the, this is how the world works. Um, now, the second that we went into COVID, and so, every, you know, 50% of our team, 60% of our team now is still based in SF, in the Bay Area. Um, and 100% of our team was going into COVID. Now, as, uh, as the second that we went in, I knew that this lockdown was going to happen for months. It, I, I had no predisposition to think we were going to be out of this early. It was obviously that we were just being told that to try and keep everyone calm about being locked up for the first time ever. Um, and so we made a decision, start hiring uh, remote as well, right? So obviously keep hiring here here too, but for, for roles that we don't need that scale, that we don't need that, that Bay Area scale, if there's great people in other places let's hire them as well um we've hired 50 percent of the people uh you know outside of the bay area uh, as in the bay area since COVID. in fact we've hired more people since the start of COVID than we had before uh so we definitely have have widened that my view has completely changed and we now have a policy called fast flex that's going to be forever which is you can work from our office once once we reopen uh you can work from your home you can work from the other side of the world uh and you can change on a daily basis we don't we don't care everyone you just got to get your work done, and I can tell you, I our head of engineering, who's you know based here in the Bay Area, is worked Apple, Google, you know, uh, Apple, Netflix, um, uh, and uh, Uber most recently. He is in Turkey at the moment. He's in Turkey for three months with his family because there's I, I've never met him in person. He like there's no benefit to him being in San Francisco right now, other than he has to work. A How longer are you going to deal with salaries? Uh, Zuckerberg said, "Listen, if I paid you an extra thirty k a yep. year to live in San Francisco, cost of living." And you move to, you know, Mexico or Costa Rica or pick a place with the extremely low cost of living, Thailand, 
you mm-hmm. can't expect to get that salary. Salaries will be reduced if you go move to one of those places. And obviously, overall, there'll be an equilibrium if we're not paying Silicon Valley salaries, which were 50% no. to 100% greater of other places. All salaries will come down and it will be a level yep. playing field for people, whether they're in Canada or Mexico or yep. Thailand or Manila. Whatever. I mean, it may come down to time zones, but how are you dealing with that? Because this feels extremely so, unfair to cut somebody's salary. It also yep. feels extremely unfair for somebody who got a different deal for not moving from Nashville to the Bay Area to then have the person from the Bay Area doing the same job with a higher salary move to Nashville and get the benefit and bring the premium that they get paid for working in the Bay Area. Yeah, so um, I, I think that tech, um, big tech is going to love bringing the salaries down, right? And I think people, uh, if, if they, if people don't believe that the cost of you know the, the salaries being paid to tech workers isn't going to come down because of this and because of the proliferation of remote work, then then I think they're crazy. It, they, they absolutely are going to come down. Now, um, it, we don't have like a finite strategy about bringing uh, you know these costs down at all, and I think. It won't be for a long time before we're seeing that sort of reduction. Now, the reality is, like to a point, there's just complexities. What happens if you know, um, uh, Jim, our head of engineering, he's in Turkey at the moment. He's there for a few months, so of course, like, why would we be paying him less? But uh, what if he's there for a week? If he's there for a month, three months? At what point do would you reconsider what wage they're on? Um, if we hired him and he was based in Turkey, but he used to live here in the Bay Area, is he is he worthless now? I don't have all the answers is a sh- short thing uh, is a short answer. And the reality is we will just look at people as people and uh, and price dynamically like uh, like we do all the time. And I can tell you that if there's a phenomenal engineer that's come from a top tier tech company that that has worked at the scale that has the exact skill set that we need, then regardless of where they are, we're going to we're going to compete for that person. And um, and if that means that we're paying a Bay Area salary or, or a Colorado spring salary or an Australian salary or whatever it is or an Indonesian salary then that's that's what we'll do um I just I, I don't think that there are great answers and um but I do think that you'll find that you know salaries are going to be coming down over time yeah you know, it's with- now becoming a global marketplace it was not a global marketplace exactly. because people said yeah. you have to be within 50 miles of the office that's reasonably right. 30 miles really reasonably 20 or 30 miles of the office because of traffic mm-hmm. And now yeah. if you're saying you have to be in the same time zone plus or minus five hours, we're cool with it as long as you do well, man, that's going to change everything. It's, I mean, I can yeah. see it happening already. And I think what's going to happen is it's just going to be some people will be grandfathered in and then there'll just be a great reckoning a year from now when people look at yeah. their balance sheet and go, well, this doesn't make sense. I've yeah. got a sales executive in San Francisco and a sales executive in, you know, this place. And this sales yeah. executive has got a bigger book of business than this one. And they have two different bases. And they're just, it's all well, going to reset. I've got an engineer that I've got an engineer with two years experience, you know, over here that cost me $1,000 a week. And an engineer with two years experience over here that cost me $5,000 a week. Like, why? Why are we keeping the engineer that's costing yeah, that, $5,000 a how week? How do you do the cultural issue of firing the $5,000 person or saying you have to take a pay cut? Now they hate you for all time. Yeah, well, I the mean, we're not going to be doing that. This, this isn't us, but if you're, Dom, if you're big you tech, doing are you this? going why through this? Why are you giving no, everybody no, a pay us, cut, Dom? Us. No, no, no. fast <laughs> company employees, it's a joke, it's a joke. We, no, we champion people. Not Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg had no problem. No, he came yeah, out the well, first two weeks, he's like, yeah, you can go anywhere you want. Yeah. You just ask, all you have to do is ask, 
and January 1st, so, I'm more than willing to lower your salary. And, I mean, and, he's and, hardcore. I mean, and this is why, you know, we've our whole team have come from big tech companies. I mean, not just because of that, but, you know, we're a much, much more interesting place to work. We're, we've got much more interesting engineering challenges. We treat people as people and um, and we're not, you know, big, big, boring <laughs> tech. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Listen, Dom, it's, uh, it's great to get to know you finally after watching you bounce around on the uh, Twitter. Twitter's a great branding thing for you, huh? You went from nobody knew who you are to being like you got some pretty high profile oh, I, I think my mom would be annoyed at uh, you saying I'm that saying, Jason, I mean, in the but, um, industry dom in the industry of course yeah, your mom. in this in the bay area click yes uh look absolutely i it, twitter is a phenomenal channel for us it lets us you know talk to people at scale and lets them talk to us at scale and uh it's but it's are great. you building a cult is this a bit of a cult? That's what somebody Not would say. Yet. Somebody's breaking your chops. I can't remember the thread. They're like, oh, those fast people are a cult. It's like a cult over there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, a lot of people, happy people. I mean, we're just building something that the whole world wants, and we can't wait to give it to them. All September right. 2nd. September 2nd. You heard it here first, uh, or on Dom's Twitter feed for the last six That's months. today. And that is today. You heard it here first yes. today because we, although we recorded this a couple of days early, um, and for those PR marketing people who are out there, we don't take pitches for the podcast, period, end of story. Unless, unless there's some gigantic news dropping and the company's pretty hot, that we might play ball. But if you email me or any of the producers and say, hey, I'm from this PR company, we immediately write you back. We do not take PR pitches. It's instructive for these PR people to understand. If you want to be on this show, show some respect. The CEO emails me, Jason at Calacanis.com. Hey, I got something dropping. I would love to be on the pod. I'm a big fan. I like these two episodes. Don't send your PR people. They automatically get banned. I've got every PR firm on my banned list. I just hit shift exclamation point on my superhuman and I ban, you know, Joe Schmo PR.com, blank communications. That's why none of you get a response because the PR people is too many of you and you don't even watch the show and you spam us with nonsense. But if you have something legit, this is a lesson for every founder. Founder, email host of show. Say I'm a fan of the show. I watch this podcast. I know Dom's listened to a couple pods. We've talked about it on the Twitter. Be a human being and just ask somebody, say, hey, I love being on your love your show. Would love to be on sometime. Uh, we got a big announcement coming. Big announcement's a good excuse to do. I'm not saying Dom did that. I'm, I don't know if he did or not. Um, but it's great to have you in the show. Everybody go check out fast.co. He's hiring. And um, yeah, commerce, a lot of work to be done. Fast checkout coming September 2nd, which is today. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, Tom. <laughs>